Hey, hey, every, hey, all the people. Hey, it's me. It's Jeff May, and I have cool friends. And this is why we're doing another episode of the show called Jeff is Cool Friends, because, because you know, it's my job. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, I have uh, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite comedians. Uh, oh, he, and he's so flattered. Um, <laughs> what I would consider to be a kindred spirit in, in my world, um, comedian, podcaster, professional panelist host ken reed ken how you doing bud i'm doing all right i'm hanging in there best as i can how you doing uh good 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 i'm good i'm good yeah, question I mean, mark well i mean all new englanders that make it out to the west coast are inherently doing better than i am that i mean at least for the weather the, 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 the weather's great fires i just went for a run before recording this. Now, yes. this is our Christmas special. Normally, I would uh, release this uh, on every other Tuesday. I'm going to drop this episode on Christmas just for fun. Nice. Why not? Nice. So we're going we're gonna to talk about some holiday stuff. We're going to talk about you. You have such a fascinating life. And our lives are so eerily paralleled. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. It's No, I mean, it's, it's fine. We're on different coasts. That's true. You know, I still have. It's like 65 degrees today. Like it's it was a, like twenty here. Yeah, it's well, it's terrible. It's gray. Is it gray snow still on the ground still, or no? It is more ice, so it doesn't look as ugly. It's just more dangerous. It will just kill you so much faster. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Because you're 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 out of Boston, as as I am too. Um, interestingly enough, we I don't think we met in Boston. I think we met in Los Angeles. No, I, yeah, oh, maybe. Yeah, you're right. Or, no, 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 no. I realize it right now. I believe we met at the comedy studio when I was doing your, like, your your yard sale show. Yes, uh, I was doing, uh, yes, I was doing the um, secret menu show. I, I was booked on the secret menu show. That was, I believe, it was uh, 2013 or 2014. That sounds right, yeah. Uh, at the comedy studio. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you had this uh, penchant for doing not just stand-up comedy, but you had to do something. And it was essentially this kind of yard sale -y auction for a bunch of crap that you had. Yeah, that was one of the that was one of the segments. So I yeah, the deal I made, I hosted Friday nights there for like five years. And that's uh, a grind. Um, so I quit and then uh, the owner of the club was like, well, what would you what would you stay for? And I'm like, well, Thursday nights let me do Thursdays. Um, don't book more than three acts, and then I can do like whatever with the rest of the show. So, yeah. oddly, got him to agree to that. So I would have segments on each show. So one of the segments was called the Damaged Goods Auction. So someone would come up, they'd tell a story about an object they owned. Um, sometimes I would do it, you know, something that's of like nominal value, like a VHS tape or something, you know, that, and then they would auction it off to the audience and they'd get a certificate of authenticity and everything. And shockingly, like stuff like a CD that would sell for a dollar, people paid like $75 for it. Or like some of the stories, like somebody auctioned off a Santa suit that they bought drunk online one night. Someone auctioned off, um, they had a 2003 Red Sox program book signed by the entire team and Judge Judy. Of course. <laughs> because she, they were down at spring training and uh, Judge Judy was just there and took the book and signed it and handed it back to him, which makes it basically worthless to any sports uh, people. And so- I would prefer like, it. I would too. Someone paid like a hundred bucks for it that night. Like I was shocked because people would get, it was kind of like how much they liked the story and how much they liked the show. It was kind of like a fun- almost like a way to tip and people get super competitive about it. 
so that was fun. We also did a segment called uh, the yearbook sessions every episode. So someone would give me their high school yearbook for a week and I'd go through and make all kinds of notes. And then like, we'd just like go through their yearbook on stage for like 20 minutes. Oh, that sounds fun. Which was fun. Yeah. We did a segment called TV casualty where like something, which is what I started doing before I did the podcast, but, um, mm. someone, something they saw on television that was not inherently scary that, that traumatized them. We would talk about it, then we'd watch it as a group and like exorcise that. Uh, oh, trauma. so like the the Punky Brewster um, cave episode? Yeah, Perils of Punky came up a few times. Just, I was going to say that must have been every week. Someone's like, remember when Brandon was Bones? That yeah. was scary. There were some weird ones. One was like the beginning of the wide world of sports. There's a, a skier that wipes out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the agony of defeat guy. Yep. Uh, uh, and then every show, we ended every show with everyone that was on the show got on stage and I showed a trailer for a weird movie, and then we just kind of like went down the line with people's reactions if they would see that movie or not. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That that to me, like you ran what was essentially a a nerd melt specific kind of show. If you've ever performed at Nerd Melt, which I know you did, I believe you recorded an album there, right? Yeah, I did my second record there. Yeah, so I did the meltdown show a few times. So, so it would make sense that 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 would be the sort of direction that that would be where you would fit really well because that was a place where if you ran just a comedy show, it wasn't really going to take off. Like, yeah, what's the point? Like, yeah, it's especially locally in Boston. Like, no one really has a fan base here, and no one, especially then. And yeah. so, you know, people would just. It, to me, I always equated it like if you said, "Hey, you want to go see movie." And you'd be like, what are you talking about? And we're like, well, we're going to the AMC in Danvers. And I'd be like, yeah, well, what are we seeing? Movie. It's yeah. a movie show. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's conceptually a film. I yeah. don't know. You know? So it made like kind of a, we, we started selling out often. And Thursdays were pretty light generally. Um, but people didn't even care who was on. Like they just knew they were going to see a weird show. And I'm like, that's kind of ideal. I tried doing something like that with Mint on Card where uh because you've done the show mint on card mm -hmm. which we do at blast from the past in burbank and and you basically tell stand you do stand up but you're standing in front of like this big wall of toys and i i, I tried incorporating a rule in the show where you had to start your set with my favorite toy growing up like that was the 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 sentence started and just nobody did it yeah that's the thing about comics like it it, it taught me that comedians aren't a lot of them are not funny off the cuff. Yeah. Many of them uh, would just want to do their act, even if they do that act for no people. Yeah. They just want to like plow through their thing. And so I try to book people for those segments and they'd be like, well, can I do a set? And I'm like, no, we're going to be on stage for 20 minutes. Just like being funny. Like why? They're like, I don't do know how to do like, that. Yeah. Like five other places. Like, why are you doing that? That is something that I very much noticed about Massachusetts and specifically the smaller towns. I know Boston is a little bit bigger and so you're going to have a little bit more diversity, but my God, man, I don't know how many shows I've done in like Worcester or like Salisbury. And it's always like a guy whose credit he's, he's, he's been doing stand up for 30 years and then it's just him doing Monica Lewinsky jokes. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, Hey man, that's, that was like a while ago. It's a weird pocket universe here where like a lot of people were, I mean, I don't know what it's like now because I haven't really been out and about because of the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> although I still, so still yeah, I still see people posting things like killed it at Jose McSwiggins and there's like four people there. And I'm like, you know, it's a global pandemic and that show was shitty before that, right? Now that it's like dangerous to do, you're still, okay. Um, but uh, it's, 
they're almost like LARPing in order to do like a five minute set on Johnny Carson. I'm like, you know, that doesn't exist. You know, it's not a thing anymore, right? It the, hasn't been for a long time. There are the guys that think that they're like, oh, someday when they call my number, I'm going to be ready. And it's like, dude, you're telling the same bad jokes in the back of an Italian restaurant in Danvers. Yeah, like, I mean, at least if it was a Mexican restaurant, it'd be better. But it, it's younger people, too. You know, like I, I would often see, um, you know, younger people who are like, I did three sets tonight. I'm like, yeah, you went to three open mics and you performed for four people who were also comics. <laughs> I mean, Well, I would say that there, there is something important about when you're younger in comedy, getting the repetitions in. And sure. obviously not everybody comes out of the gate being a, a prodigy at 19. Um, sure, these people are like five or six years in. Yeah, that's, I think the, the grinding aspect is something that you do kind of have to shuffle off in stand-up. I would say that's that- That's after year two, that's gone. Agreed, agreed. But I think it took me a little bit longer because I just wanted to get the, I just wanted my swings in. And then it got to yeah. me like, oh, well, I can actually be more- careful with what I choose and then I can be better at comedy because I have crowds to work with. Yeah. Uh, or like I always say that it's, it's a couple of things. One, you know, if you stayed at home that night and watched TV, maybe you would have thought of some new stuff based on it. <laughs> Number yeah. one, rather than just seeing the same crap Two, there's, you know, it's basically you get comfortable on stage and then that's what you need. But a lot of people end up it becomes their social life. So that's, they use that as an excuse to be like, it's my social life, but they don't want to say that. Yeah. <laughs> that they're like, these are all my friends. I see them once a week. Yeah. yeah. And, and you also end up getting people who are like, I don't know, three years into comedy and they're on stage and they're doing jokes about shows they did. <laughs> like <laughs> I told that show to gig once and, uh, and I'm like, nah, you should be talking about anything but that. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to have that happen. Yeah. There, there is definitely, I, I definitely feel like there there is that divide in like the lo local scenes versus what you would consider to be more national scenes or, or larger cities. And it's not it's not to the fault of smaller towns and cities that don't necessarily have the opportunities. But like, I mean, Boston is a really good example of the fact that like there isn't a lot of diversity. And I'm not just talking about skin color. I'm talking about style and ability and everybody. <clears throat> Everybody, it seemed to me when I started that everybody was trying to be Louis C.K. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always the case, though. Not always him, but it, there's always someone they're trying to be. Like, it, when I first started, it was, like, Mitch Hedberg, and then it, it morphed into Louis C.K., and then it morphs into, you know, Bill Burr or whoever it is. Yeah. I, I, to me, it was more people would get kind of career ambitious without getting creatively ambitious at all, which is completely backwards. And in cities where there isn't a lot of opportunities or there aren't a lot of industry stuff going on, it's kind of a perfect opportunity to take risks and do a weird show. Weirdos, whatever. The weirdos um, always, <clears throat> always are the ones that stand out in small towns, uh, in, yeah, in smaller areas. To, there's no like, you know, it's not, it's not, you're not an apprentice, a carpenter, you know, so you don't need to do this set path in those worlds. So why are you? And yet they do. I think Bobcat is a good example of, of like the first Bostonian to really buck that system and just the, the sort of pushback that he got for it because he, yeah. he was different and that made him popular. And the people that thought that this was a time-based career path as opposed to a skill and merit-based career path, um, 
got and really luck. upset. They were like, it's not your time. <clears throat> There's a lot of luck to it, too. Yeah. That it's not in people's control. So, um, yeah, uh, it's weird that people haven't learned that lesson. And, and you know, we've known this since 1985. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very interesting. Now, you are, we have such like similar foci. Uh, our focus is is very similarly because we're both, I guess the best way to describe it is we're both like pop culture historians. Sure. Like we're both people that have immersed ourselves in pop culture. We have pushed it there. I mean, your show, TV Guidance Counselor, um, your podcast, it's you just crested past 500 episodes. Congratulations. That is uh, upsettingly high number of pods. You started it in what, 2014? Yeah, Valentine's Day 2014. Uh, and you have had some wild guests uh, on the show. People um, have no business talking to. Yeah, like I want to talk about that because like how do you – how did you start getting like some of those bigger name guests that you – because now, I mean, when you see some of the people that you have on, it's like Jesus. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's weird. Like I know a lot of people. Like I've had a, a number of lives I feel like mm -hmm. and – you know, I was in a punk rock band in the 90s uh, when I was a teenager, and I know a lot of people from that and a lot of, like, Boston music people from the 90s, which was a really fertile time for music here. So that's where you get, like, Tanya Donnelly and Lou Barlow and Julian Hatfield and, you know, people like that. Um, and, you know, I was in a punk band, so that's where you get people like Steve Albini and, you know, the guys from Dropkick Murphys or, um, you know, The Damned and, and people like that. Then there's just from doing comedy. So so when I started, I kind of, and I never asked people for anything. Like I was actually saying this year that it's embarrassing, but like one of the reasons, although aside from the fact that the pandemic isn't over and it's getting worse, um, you know, I never really like booked, like asked to be booked on stuff. <laughs> like it's just, so hard to do that. Yeah, people would ask me to be like, sure. So like, I hate asking for things. So when I started the show, I'm like, I have to. So I just started asking, you know, my friends and people I knew, uh, and, and then it kind of goes from there. Like people come and have a good time and they're like, Oh, you know who you should have on is my friend, whoever. But then there's a lot of people that like either like followed me on Twitter randomly who are like heroes of mine, <laughs> like Bonnie Hunt or, you know, people like that. Um, and I, you know, ask them or, you know, some people I would just like cold ask. And then some people have come and asked me, which is weird. Yeah. They're like, Hey, can I do your show? Yeah. Or they listen. Like, that's the thing too. There's. There's a lot of people who listen to it that shock me um, that even haven't been on, but are like notable people. Um, and they've like turned other people onto it who are of note, who then I have ha had on the show. But I mean, that 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 is kind of like that word of mouth of having that sort of skill to push it forward. And people are like, I like this. Now, I that's all I have to offer is like you might have fun. Like there's nothing, there's no other reason you would do this. Show. But I mean, that's not necessarily true because it's not just that you're having fun. It's, but it's part that you get to be a part of something that is, uh, you know, it's there. It's, it's fun. It's unique. Um, and, and people are going to listen to it. People are going to be turned on to your, you know, like I, I know that I'm going to have listeners that have never heard of you that are going to be like, yeah. I like this guy. And then they're going to follow you and then they're going to listen to your podcast. So like. There is that, there yeah, is no, that but, aspect to it. Yeah, everything is sort of a niche microcast now. So I, I always look at it like when I, whenever I'm doing stuff or like promoting the show or anything like that, I'm like, well, if I got one new listener out of doing this thing, that's cool. 
Um, and you can, and, which is a really weird way to look at building audiences, you know? Um, so I think people look at things more that way now in the current state of media. It, it is interesting. Cause like, I'll have somebody, they'll sign up for the Patreon and I'll message them and I'll be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You have no idea how much this means to me. And they're like, Hey, I know it's only 10 bucks and it's not much. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I live my life by 10 bucks. Yeah. Like, $10 a month times X or, or $5 a month. Like that's how I live. And I was like, don't belittle the fact that you are one of the people hoisting me up into living. Yeah. But it's, it's them putting, you know, it, putting their money where their interests are directly yeah. instead of having to go that, you know, circuitous way through advertising or whatever. Yeah. It, there, there was a, there was that temptation for me to, not do a Patreon and to try to start to like rebuild. But also like, I've been doing this since 2013. I've been podcasting since 2013 when we did the first episode of Unpops, uh, which is also like such a high to start on, to have your first ever podcast be on Cracked. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably why yeah. you were reticent to do a Patreon because it seems like you're passing a hat around or begging for money and it was weird for me to do that but then once i got or like talked to people that give to them they're psyched about it like they're like even five bucks a month i love it you know it's, I, it it does definitely mean the world to have somebody be like least i could do for all the all the you've given me for the past uh, you know eight years or something like that and then a lot of people they'll they'll hit you up and be like how do i do this and it's like well eat shit for six yeah. years for free or do stuff people like, and they might find it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's cause at the end of the day, you know, I think I make like 350 a month or something on my Patreon. Um, you know, I've put out like uh, 2,500 hours of free content. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like but the, I mean the ads for the non-Patreon episode though, that, that helps out a lot too. I don't do any ads. Oh, so you do. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. I did them once just kind of as, to, as a lark to like, see if i because i wouldn't i didn't want to advertise anything i didn't like yeah. like or use was it was it worth your integrity i guess is the question right uh i did it with uh magic spoon who were a nice company like i like that company oh yeah they're cereal um, you know and i'm a big cereal guy and it kind of worked with the show because you know i yeah. like cereal and cartoons um you know and it was fine i, I didn't mind doing it but at the same time i was like i, I wouldn't want to scramble and do this every week yeah that's fair I do like, uh, I, I like that because finding those low carb cereals, cause I love cereal, but I, I, I have a, I have a body image thing, man. I can't keep eating carbs. Well, like in shape. I mean, I, I need to lose like some serious pounds. I've packed on some serious uh, depression weight over the pandemic. So, so we did the opposite. Yeah. Cause I was depressed, but when I get depressed, I don't wallow. I, I force myself to be, I like, I self-flagellate. So like me, like I, I went running, I would run like every day. And then it was really to punish myself for being in the position I was in. Yeah, that's um, a healthy masochism. Whereas I go into a depression hedonism. It's not, it's, I wouldn't say it's healthy. <laughs> My knees hurt so bad now, but, but it's definitely, but I also, you know, cause I grew up very chubby and like, you know, I was the biggest kid in my class. Um, and so now, even now, after I do all this work enough, I'll see like my little, my little tum jiggling in a video. I'm like, oh, f and I get, I get really into it on myself. I'm yeah. I get angry with myself about this thing that it's like, dude, you are 40. Like you're a 40 year old man. You're in better shape than like 95% of 40 year old men. 
Oh, yeah, if not higher than that, yeah. And yet I still am like, yeah, but it's not like when I was 27. Nothing is. Yeah, I just, it's <laughs> wild to me. For better or worse. Um, so I want to talk about the show because we've talked a little bit about your experience with it, but I really want you like, what what's your elevator pitch when you're explaining the show? Because I definitely think that my listeners are going to want to listen to it if they haven't already. Yeah, it's, it's basically... The concept of the show is I, I own almost every issue of TV Ed magazine. Someone picks an old issue. They go through it and kind of write down what they would watch that week in prime time. And then the show is just going through the week talking about their choices. Mm -hmm. That's the like bare minimum skeleton of the show. But it ends up being this sort of discussion, especially of like pre-millennium media of shared experience and uh, things in common that we are kind of missing now in a lot of ways where, yeah. you know, two people, if we didn't know each other at all, um, we could be very different or have very different outlooks. But if we could be like, Hey, did you ever see that episode of the Brady bunch? <laughs> like, yeah, I did. And, and you instantly have a thing now. Um, and that has been surprising how many people have that. And because a lot of the guests are people whose, you know, work they're writing or movies or TV or whatever they worked on. I have an affinity for, it ends up that we all almost always have a lot in common and get along really well because for whatever it was about the stuff they made that connected with me is, is a kind of thing we have where we have similar interests. You know, we watch the same stuff or we like the same things and that's, that's an interesting thing that comes out of it, but it ends up being just, yeah, pretty loose conversations that go in any direction based around that kind of skeleton. Yeah. Around the, the TV guide. So it really is sort of like, uh, it, it's a campfire conversation, really, when you think about it. Like you guys are talking about oh, a specific week mm -hmm. um, in that. And, and it's great. And I know I'm going to be recording an episode that will uh, yep. come out, you know, I'm, I'm guessing early 2022. Because you're actually, you're so far ahead of me as far as I'm your like recording. Ahead, That's usually. wild to me. Well, it's not a timely show. So, you Th know, it's true. A old stuff. So, um, and I like to bank them because I edit stuff heavily and, yeah. Um, you know, so that, and I'm just like paranoid that I'll run out of episodes. Like I haven't missed a week. Can I say something? I pay, I pay an editor and it's the best, it's the best use of my money. Cause I would go so wild. And he's amazing. Like my editors, I, like I, well, I edit, I, cause I do, I do a monthly show with Kim Crawl called Ugh Fine. And I edit that myself. Um, but I'm not a professional editor. So I go to a professional editor who is unbelievable and and just like kind also and and will like check on things with me and 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 isn't particularly demanding or like I've dealt I tried with other editors and they were like kind of like demanding and a little rude almost yeah. about it and I was like well what do you why is I'm I'm paying you <laughs> like yeah um but uh, I'm very excited because we had um I had given you options you picked one of this uh TV guide I looked through it and I hated it I hated the, cause it seemed like it was going to be a good idea, but then I remembered it was the TV guide. So the article wasn't going to be long the way and, and everything was like kind of trite. So I ended up, uh, I, I came back and I went and I bought this copy of TV guide. You were like, I'll scan it for you. I'm like, don't worry about it. I want to, I want to hold it in my hands and read it. So yeah. when we get to my uh, episode, it will be um, the January 20th through 26th of 1996. Now, um, it's also the sci-fi and fantasy issue, which is very important to me. And it's also me being like 14. 
Yeah, that's like the sweet spot tends to be between like eight and twelve ish, because um, you're like kind of you're old enough to have your own taste, but not old enough to like leave the house or really do much. But especially with stuff like in the mid '90s, like a sci-fi stuff for people like us, 14, 16 kind of falls into that category a little more. It's it's also a good example of like the f- nerds aspect of it where it's oh, yeah. like, oh, well, I wasn't doing anything because I wasn't cool. You know, <laughs> you were, you just didn't know. And we also it's not like we had streaming platforms where we could choose whatever we wanted to watch, whatever we no. wanted to watch. And that's interesting as well, because there's another factor where you know, a lot of things that we ended up really liking, we kind of stumbled on and we wouldn't normally have watched them otherwise if if we had a choice. Like, I always say, now you can watch whatever you want as, as long as you already know what you like. That's <laughs> and, true. I'm in my you know, second people, rewatch of The Next Generation. Yeah, and people will, you know, even if you try a show now, like, oh, I don't like the first five minutes, I don't like the first episode, I'm not going to watch it anymore, but we would invest in it because we're like, well, what else am I going to do? I'm not yeah. going to, there's nothing else I can pull up. So you'd watch it, and oftentimes that stuff ends up becoming some of your favorite stuff. So it's it, we just consume things differently. It is kind of funny when you think about like the kind of shows that ended up being popular, and there's no necessarily rhyme or reason. Like some shows are just like, well, this is what's available, and some shows are cheers. And you're like, well, this is yeah. just a brilliant show. Yeah, well, I mean, TV, especially when we were growing up, when you would get quality stuff, it was kind of despite everything because – you know, aside from pay channels like HBO, TV literally just existed to show you commercials. Yeah. So the fact that the thing they're putting uh, to entice you so that you watch the commercials ends up being really good. And it's jumped through all these hurdles and different people and is still good. is kind of incredible. It's definitely one of those things where you're kind of like, huh. All right. Like it's basically run a gauntlet to to get there and it's funny too because a lot of the stuff that we love um that we love and and prize our commercials i i I think a good example of that is like when any of the cartoons that we grew up with they're literally just 22 minute commercials for for toys without deregulation yeah yeah 68 the hot wheels cartoon um made them write laws that said you couldn't do that (laughs) and that lasted the 70s and then reagan showed up and reagan repealed it um but you know because they didn't want marketing to children and then literally yeah we were inundated with stuff that was just to sell you things and you know but and and because of that we get like the nostalgia of things like i think he-man is a good example like masters of the universe because there was this big like pushback against the masters of the universe revelation by these fans that were mad that it, that it wasn't what they wanted out of He-Man or whatever. And I'm like, you the do know one? that that show was bad that we grew up with, oh, right? Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It, it had the, I mean, but it was aimed to kids and, and it was very repetitive and they had to make 65 in a year. I think people, I say this all the time and, and especially, and I think you would be one that would agree with me, but, uh, and especially because, you know, we are mired in pop culture. It's, it is what we do. It's, it's how we pay our bills. Um, but, uh, it's not the art necessarily that you like, but it's the feeling of a time and the memories of a time when you didn't have to pay bills or taxes or rent. And all you had to do was just consume and learn. Well, TV is unique in that it, it it's piped into your home as well. So unlike movies or, or a show where you go out and see it 
and, it, and it's a it's an event. This is in your environment, in your world, and it, so it inherently becomes something people have more of a of a kinship to because it, it, it's tied to their sort of day-to-day life, especially in, in the frequency. Yeah. You know, if, if something like Masters of the Universe, if you're watching it every morning for two years and you're only six, you know, a quarter of your life, you're watching something every day, it's going to have, it's going to occupy a place in your brain. But it's always amazing to me that when any of those 80s shows that existed either to, you know, capitalize on a movie like Batman the Animated Series did, um, which would not have existed if not for the movie's success. Yeah. Um, or something like the real Ghostbusters have really good shows. <laughs> they make some really good episodes. Like, that shouldn't be and is kind of incredible. It's funny when you look at who the writers are of those shows. Oh, yeah. And, like, the creative. Like, when you look at something like real Ghostbusters – um, and you look at like it's J. Michael Straczynski, who yep. you know went on J. to write Mateus. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And then when you and, and you know Straczynski, aside from being an, a very accomplished comics writer as well and novelist, but you know he also you know created like the movie Changeling that Clint Eastwood directed, and yeah, and and, and he's just like oh yeah, or like Paul Dini with Batman the Animated Series teaming up with Bruce Timm and creating an entire universe. And Dini got, you know, he cut his teeth on, on, they both cut their teeth on He-Man, actually. Yeah, He-Man, yeah, Bruce Timm used to draw the comics that mm-hmm. came with the toys. Yeah. And yeah, Dini worked at Filmation, and then he worked on droids and a bunch of you know, oh, yeah. Mono shows. It's it's definitely one of those things, because yeah, you, you I, I remember um, Straczynski's book, the Becoming Superman book, which you have, if you haven't read it, you should, it's pretty great. Um, wild background on this guy. But um, he talked about how he was working on He-Man and then he got shifted directly to She-Ra and they're like, now you need to make this. And he's like, look, man, we were trying to make good shows. And then he went over to Real Ghostbusters as well. And he's like, look, man, we, we were always doing our best while we were fighting corporations that were telling us what we could and couldn't do. Yeah. And what you had to do, like a lot of times it'd be like, include this vehicle. Yeah. Here <laughs> it is. Don't care. It just has to be in there. Or, you know, even something like Transformers, which, you know, was not a design toy line. It was it was an amalgam of 10 different toy lines. Yeah. And And two different shows. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, make a show out of that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what? Yeah. We're supposed to do what? I think Power Rangers is a good example of that, too, where it's really just found art. But they were like, all right, well, we found this. Now let's redub it and do some American acting and let's move on. The interesting thing about that, too, is that they tried it with that same footage three different times before it hit his Power Rangers. I mean, yeah. yeah. And one of them, I forget what it was called. It's called like Dragon Squad or something. They tried to more do like a What's Up Tiger Lily thing. And then they, they aired it on like USA Network. And then they aired it on MTV. Like they were trying to find like a hip audience for it. Yeah. And that it was trying to, and it just didn't work. It didn't work. And then finally they kind of, it all clicks in like 92. Yeah. I mean, and boy did it, right? It's funny too when you look at it because you're, you're like, oh, this is a, uh, it's not a good show. But it really did capture this insane zeitgeist, um, which is which is just it's it's weird to me. Um, now, there's an interesting thing about my show, Ken. I don't know if you knew this, but um, if you sign up for my Patreon at the ten dollar producer level, you, I um, say your name during the show. Oh, what a steal! 
You get me to say your name twice a month out loud. How exciting is that? Um, and I'm going to read off a couple of names of people that uh, that uh, are my producers. And Ken, we can we can interact with these names. We can um, we can uh, talk about them. We can ignore okay. them if you want. We okay. can do whatever. Right. We can we can literally roll with whatever we want. So uh, I would like to uh, thank my producers, including Jeff Hordes, the Christmas frittatas. They they love to deal with the jhcf acronym and uh i do oh, love so it they, they have fake names oh of course yeah everybody i let them write whatever they want as long as it's not being like oh the jews or you know like as long as yeah. it's not that it's fine um i have uh farty marty's nerd party these seven b's lemming malloy manischewitz molotov says eat the rich hell yeah uh superman family issue 184 uh the scene in meet joe black where brad pitt dies I like how specific those are. Like, I'd like to think those aren't people, but are actually the anthropomorphized. Yeah. Those things. Somebody wished for that to be a real boy. And the first thing he did was sign up for my Patreon. And I appreciate it. Um, Jeff's happy Christmas face. Also, I love Christmas, by the way. I don't know if you've picked that up. I'm a big Christmas fan. Same. And I'm an atheist. Really. Sa like, same. Honestly, I just, I, I vibe out. So we're going to talk about that too, because this is a whole thing. I'm the law, martial law, and I hate superheroes. Mr. Billy Beck, Jeff watches Batman and likes sports. That's the true. Kimball, get vaccinated, you chuckleheads. The 5G lets you see sound, and then you can see your friends again. Let's go. You know, when I got vaccinated, I cried. Yeah. No, after my first did. shot. Yeah, it was weird. I was not, I was not expecting it. Was it, was, weird, it was a weird relief in a way, but if we only knew. Uh, I know. Yeah. So somebody just post, posted a thing that said, um, boy, that vaccine sure was a light at the middle of the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Blackagar Boltagon. Big, I went to high school with a Blackagar Boltagon. Yeah. He would probably couldn't talk much, though, huh? No. Resource room because he was mute. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Big Booty Boy 42069. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, you get it. Uh, Aaron, Wyoming isn't real. Meyer. Uh, Jared Wan. Ruan. Ruan. You get it, Jared. I, I'm sorry if I your name up there tyler uh wilgosh or wilgosh or wildgosh i said it right one time and then i blew it again shout out to the human bonsai evan hall jeff hates competitive fun not true patrick door the digital phil the bollock caitlin binney l insert joke here seldo the ian mcclendon jezbutt's fiance is gonna be a mom that's exciting huh? Shout out to your fiance, Jezbutt. Craft beers make my alcoholism look like a neat hobby. Hi, I'm Super Fudge, and welcome to Fudgemania. I bet you read those books when you were a kid. I did, yeah. Was it Beverly Clary? It sure was. I loved me some Fudgemania. It's Super Fudge and uh, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Ramona Quimby? Uh, same, uh, same author, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, Mef J, bold and brash, more like belongs in the trash. Russell from Jersey, pizza, bagels, Taylor ham. Uh, shout out to Vortispin. Shout out to Norm from Cheers. Uh, Shebrew Sleeps, Mind Freak 555, Taurus Bulba. That sounds like a like a Pokemon, right? A little bit. Or it sounds more like a, uh, a villain in uh, Dune. Fair. That's very fair. Or like James Bond Jr. Mm. Remember James Bond Jr.? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> 
Actually, there's a there's a unrelated James Bond Jr. book series that's written by Charlie Higson, who's a guy I had on the show a couple months ago. Really? Yeah. And you were like, did you know about the cartoon or was that before? He did. He's actually he's a, he's a comedy writer. So he he had a show called The Fast Show in England that was sort of like Mr. Show was sort of contemporary of that. Uh, I used to write for Craig Ferguson and like Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer, if you know who they are. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, he, he writes a lot of books. Actually, he did uh, the Stuart Gordon movie, Kingdom of Ants, if you remember that movie. I do not remember that movie. Mid-90s Stuart Gordon movie. That's based on one of Charlie Hickson's novels. Shout out. Uh, shout out to Huey Freeman, Lisa Harden. You know Lisa. She was my co-producer for Mint on Cart. Yeah. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Firechild 460. It's good use of that 10 bucks a month, man. Get that plug in. Shout out to Burrito Mouth. Ooh, Dr. DNA. Steven. It's simple. I like it. Yeah. He's claimed it. Yeah. Shout out to Silius Ruby. Uh, Kelly Stanaway. Adrian. I didn't kill my wife. The most well-prepared dead guy. Jennifer Fendelander. Art Fartigan. Frankly Amish. Koi Fam, Art and Mentoring. Do you know Koi, the artist? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Fantastic. He did like Mighty Avengers with Dan oh, Slott yeah. and Christos Gage and everything. Real yes, good. It's like yeah. Silver Age style artist. Incredible. The Ghost of Dave Thomas. Sophia Hopgood, Psychic Services. Russell Richardson, The Sass Bitch Stan. Show me in the rules where it says a dog can't play basketball. I like that somebody used that as their, as their, yeah. the, just an Air Bud reference. You can probably hear my cat in the background, by the way. She's yelling. I like that. Just just so the listeners know what that weird noise is. It's a cat. Be, is somebody like somebody beating a cat? And you're like, no, she's yeah. just. No, she's she, just, she looks out the window and yells at me. Yeah, she's just needy. She's, she's like 17. She's a little. Shout out to Murph the Murph. Shout out to Dan Hackroyd. Shout out to Willem Dafoe's Baffling Big Bonanza. That was actually the original title of the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Um, shout out to Mackenzie Chill. Shout out to at Nerd Numbers, Ricky Cilantro, Gray Man of the Fireside Chronicles, Irradiated Mutant Man, Andrew Howe, The AV Foundry, Gregarious Gregorio, Captain Fat Strong, Jessica Robertson, at Gavin underscore not with two T's, Cody Beck Jr. Is it rude to use this bit to ask for comedian Keith Carey? It sure is. Every time. Uh, no, no, Jeff May is never going to have a history podcast, guys. Believe me, I asked very nicely. Which I really thought you were going to say hysterectomy. <laughs> that's true. I got to get rid also of this. true. Yeah. Get rid of this useless uterus. Um, yeah. Weirdly enough, somebody made the comment that um, Radvertising, the show that I have coming out, is technically a history podcast. Oh, well, there you go. You got you got fooled. I know. Although I consider it more of a sociology or sociological or anthropological podcast but well jeff once a podcast is finished isn't it all a history you 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 rotten son of a shout out to normal man andrew mcguire uh jucky uh excuse me jolly buckaroo's mom kicked cancer square in the dick you cancer hell yeah dill havarti that's my favorite cheese what's your favorite cheese uh well it depends on the application um, okay, that's fair. What's your favorite cheese on a sandwich? Uh, again, would depend on the sandwich, but if I'm gonna go, I'd probably just like a sharp cheddar. You like, like a sharp cheddar, like turkey, deli mustard, green apple, sharp cheddar. Fair. How about uh, how about on a cracker? Uh, then I would go with pub cheese, probably Ooh. like a blue cheese cheddar horseradish blend. Ooh, that is an interesting choice of pub cheese. 
one time I, uh, I put uh, string cheese, I dipped it in pub cheese and then I could see through time. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, uh, shout out to exploding runes, JK, Jeff May's biggest fan for shizzless Joan, David knife boot Henson. That's not a knife boot. That's a knife boot. How, how did he convey the accent to read that? in? Or Somebody asked me literally, they, they said, can you say this in an uh, Australian accent? Oh, so they'll put like stage directions into these. I'll do it, man. I am a whore. I will do any, like, I will do it. I will absolutely do it. No question about it. Uh, Funky J, St. Gutfree, Instagrams at Bob underscore of underscore skull. Uh, an action figure of Clippy uh, at C Dr. Video. Uh, C-E-S-E-E, C Dr. Video. Uh, C2E2, AM Adventures. You ever go to C2E2? No, it was mostly gaming, right? No, 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 it's Comic-Con. No. It's, it's, it's Reed's big Comic-Con before they really took over New York. Uh, no, I never did. Cause they would, they did it. But what is the gaming one? Isn't there a gaming one like that? Um, there's one in Indiana or Indianapolis. It's called Gen Con. No, I thought there was one that had like a similar name. Maybe I'm just, Oh, you're thinking of E3. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I've had it in Boston before. C2 E2 is the Chicago comics and entertainment expo. So C2 uh, E2. Been. Only been to Chicago once. Oh yeah. I love it. I really okay. like Chicago. Yeah, I, uh, there's a good toy store there. <laughs> I love that. Toy du jour. Uh, I ended up, uh, I was uh, touring when I was in Portland. I was doing a show in Portland, uh, Portland, Maine. And as I was leaving about to go home, I, drive, I drove by a vintage toy store and literally banged a U-turn right before I got onto the, uh, onto the highway and went back in. When I was in my band in high school, so it's like 96 to 98, uh, they hated me for a variety of reasons, but, uh, I used to make a stop at every video store when we were on tour and I'd, I'd sign up for a membership and then also like cruise the previewed video section. Uh, and it was really annoying in hindsight. Fair. No, you're not wrong for that. Um, shout out to an NFT of He-Man skull f Skeletor. Shout out to that. Uh, I have a uh, yeah. point of order. If you're any any sexual act with Skeletor would be skull f No, it would only be the head would be skull f Otherwise, it would be skeleton f But he also... But he's, he's a skull. Well, he's a skull on a meat body. That's true. So his face is a skull. So if you're, if you're f his face, it would well, be a skull if, f if he's using his face, it also is. Well, then he's skull f you. Okay, okay. I guess. Oh, that's going to have a lot of beeps on it for the uh, for the non Patreon people. That also made me my brain just went Castle Grayskull. We're all there. I have one right next to me. I have a Castle Grayskull right next to me. Uh, where's Bane? Shout out to Ben Mendelson uh, for that beautiful line delivery in Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Jeff May loves the meat, Millie. Flesh, your friend. Poinsettia jingle. Mike Gouts, Grumblebee, and Cronenberger. So those are my those are my producers at the $10 tier, patreon.com slash Jeff May. If you want to pay $10 a month, I will say your name out loud because I have no what? Shame. Okay. It was like 25 people. That was way more than that. It was like 85. Jeez. Yeah. You're doing all right. <laughs> I'm doing what I can, man. But you have like a you have like a real people job too on top of your podcast, do, right? Yeah. 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 See, that's it's why I don't hustle as hard. Yeah. I have funny. to do this or I starve. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but it's all, I mean, I, I love doing this too. It's a lot of fun. Plus the names are so unique. It's something you can really oh, yeah, play no, with. It's fun. Um, now, uh, so I wanted to, uh, talk a little bit too about one of the times that you when when you did mint on card, and it's one of my favorite things because you come out to LA and you do recordings or mm -hmm. you would, um, and for your, is your life a lot easier now that you can, um, just, you do zoom recordings? Uh, yeah, it's easier. I guess I would say, yeah. um, you know, I have to spend more time like episodes take me longer because I have to scan an issue, which takes a couple hours. Um, and, but I also have had guests on from cities I'm not in. So I've had people in like Ireland and Canada and England, you know, which yeah. is, which is good. It was a lot better when I, when I left, um, when I left the sideshow because it used to be, I'd have to record it like at sideshow. Right. Yeah. Which is like kind of a pain in the to get to because it's like oh you're in la can you want do you want to drive for an hour yeah no i love i love that i can do it anytime and you know it's right here and i don't have to leave my office and you know um i don't have to rely on anyone else <laughs> how many times do people by the way do people comment on your office when you sign on because your office is wild uh pretty much every time yeah every single time yeah because you yeah, have it, several old smaller tube tvs that are just mm -hmm. blaring static Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have like random cans of, of Pepsi. Mm -hmm. I see Gumby behind you. Yep. Um, I mean, it really is just a mishmash. I see a, a, a small plush Godzilla. It, it, it has very yep. Pee Wee's Playhouse vibes. That's really my whole life. Uh, goal is to live in either Pee-wee's Playhouse or over our heads from Facts of Life. Yeah. We get a, we get a, a Magnum PI commemorative plate back here. Fair. We got a, a, a jar of the stuff stuff you got to get the stuff man yeah i have i mean you can't really i have if i were to angle it up i'm i mean I'm, i've got comics all behind me but you know if you look at the top i have you know masters of the universe toys oh, and yeah. batman statues and optimus prime and a giant far more far more organized <laughs> what mine or yours yeah yours no it's not if I were to angle any way that was off to the side in any, like if I were to angle my camera down, you would just see boxes and frames on the floor. Yeah. And I, you know, I suspected you didn't have pants on, but now I've confirmed it. Yeah, well, what do you want from me? I'm working from home. That explains the castle Grayskull right next to you. It's sure. Like, look, Mattel sent that to me and they're awesome. Um, but I'm just like, when I, when I got it, I was like, this is so great. And then my roommate's like, what are you going to do with it? And I was like, fair question. I don't know. Yeah, I've been trying to buy, like, just collect less stuff. Like, I actually got rid of all my comics, and I'm totally digital. Oof. <laughs> With a How'd that feel? exceptions. Yeah, you held fine. on to the ones that mattered to you? or What yeah, would you like, hold on to? Um, Like, my original run of the Tick comics I have. Um, I, I used to save up in a couple times a year. In the 80s, I would buy, like, a 50s horror comic, like a pre-code horror comic. So I still kept those. Um, but I read them way more now because they're with me all the time. Same yeah. with all my magazines and all that kind of stuff. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. I I, I, um, I unloaded my comics at one point in time, and then I kind of refilled them. Oh, yeah. You know? I know that. I know that tale. Yeah. So I haven't... Un I did... When I when I moved to my new apartment, I was... I had too many... I had too many long boxes, and I sold about 10 long boxes worth of comics. I got decent money for them. Yeah. All things oh, yeah. considered. I, uh, when I was a kid, I used to make money flipping collections. So 
this was like the late 80s, early 90s. And I would go to flea markets and stuff. And there'd be someone who's like, eh, comics, 10 cents each. And I'd be like, oh, I'll for the whole box. I'll give you 20 bucks. And then I'd pull out what I wanted and sell the rest of the comic store and make a profit. <laughs> um, and over time, I think by the early 2000s, I had 10 issues of Giant Size X-Men 1. And I would sell one every year, kind of, you know, when I needed money in, in my 20s and in college. And this was before stuff got worth money again so i i would they would they would be worth less and less every year and i think the last one i sold was for like eight hundred dollars or something in like 2005 oh wow yeah but yeah that's one of those things where you're like oh i kind of wish i held on to that yeah but and what are you gonna do i needed the money then i have i you know i sold i pulled a um out of a pack of 1992 score tray um baseball cards i pulled an autographed mickey mantle insert nice. And it was worth like 500 bucks at the time. Um, even then, you know, I'm, I'm a dip 11 year old with a $500 baseball card. But then I, um, I ended up selling it for rent in college for like $200 when it was like a bottomed out market. But most stuff like I, I got a, uh, in wizard once I got a signed Will Eisner spirit card. That was pretty cool. Mm. Um, but most stuff that's kind of the great thing about now is you can get almost anything easily if you have enough money if you really want to sure again you can get it whereas before it was like you couldn't even get stuff even if you were willing to pay like whatever like you'd yeah you'd have to go find it, it. well yeah. that was i i ended up buying a um from masters of the universe a clawful mint on card from 1980 i think this one's a 1984 clawful um graded at an 8.5 or at 85 um, and I paid, you know, I paid $400 for it. Yeah. But that's also a piece of art that I'd wanted my whole life since you yeah. couldn't get them anymore. And I was yeah. like, I just want to have this thing in the package looking cool. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. I mean, the stuff I keep is stuff that I couldn't get again. So like if I have something autographed or like a piece of original art, like I have a Stephen Bissett drew me a swamp thing for christmas one year so it's this red and green and white um swamp thing that i have framed up here and it's awesome and like that i'll always keep and i have you a know, that kind phil of hester swamp thing oh nice yeah but awesome like he he uh he's a vermont guy and uh so he, i have like he did the forward to this outer limits book and i have it here somewhere but he like um drew me the the Zanti misfits inside and like that like that stuff i won't get rid of yeah steve Bissett um, for a famously a famous comic artist by the way for those of you who are listening and have no idea who the hell we're talking about <laughs> yes um steve Bissett is considered one of the sort of classic silver age uh sort of like macabre artists well, yeah, he created john constantine yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he worked he's one of those people that paired really well with alan moore yeah until they didn't <laughs> That happened. <laughs> Which happens with everyone. Yeah. yeah. Alan Moore is a very interesting cat because his stuff is great. And also I do not ever want to have to have a conversation with him. I've met him. He he's perfectly personable. I get where his like cantankerism comes from. Um he's also an old man now. But uh He was an old he, man when he was twenty eight. Yeah. He's also one of those guys that there, there's certain people that I think like to f with people and they just keep waiting for someone to tell them to go f themselves and then if they never do they just keep just rolling with it's it. out of control yeah and he's like kind of falls into that category yeah man that would be nice to be like like you know go f yourself to somebody yeah. like that's being all kind of 
about stuff. Like when I had Steve Albini on, like Albini is noto notoriously like uh, grumpy and people always are like, ah, oh, he's such an asshole and all this stuff. But within like a minute of us doing the show, it's like, yeah, well, let's not do the character kind of thing, you know? <laughs> and we end up talking about Speed Racer for an hour. You know? Did you call him out and be like, we're not doing that? So, sort of. Like he kind of got it, <laughs> you know? He was like, all right, fine. I'll I'll behave. I was gonna say too, and I'm sorry I got distracted, but uh, we did a mint on card one time, and uh, I'm in. I'm hosting the show, of course, because it's my show, and I'm I'm a control freak, and I'm hosting it. You're on the show, and as I'm perusing the crowd, interacting with them, I look around. I'm like, is that is that is that, is that Olivia Dabo? <laughs> Is that, is that the Wonder Years in Star Trek The Next Generation? Is that Star Sapphire, Olivia Dabo? In the, in the, and it sure was in, in the crowd. And then behind her, I was like, is that the Monster Squad? Yes. You brought the most eclectic crowd with you of people that I'm assuming you would recorded with while you were in town. And you were probably like, I'm doing like two shows and this is one of them. Yeah, it's weird thing that's happened that I didn't realize was weird for the first couple of years I did the show is, but like I pretty much befriended everyone on the show and stay in touch with everybody. And so like when I would be in LA, I'll like meet up with people for lunch or meet up for coffee or something, or if I'm doing a show, they'll come to the show. So like my album recording at Meltdown is funny because there's like 10 or 12 people who I had on my show or in the audience. I mean, there's more than that in in the audience in total but like people like notable people that you would recognize yeah like like obscure tv celebrities and you're yeah, just and like I can like hear their laughs on the recording which is kind of funny i was really bummed i was out of town when you were recording that album and i was really bummed because i wanted to go um there because that was also not only was it would it have been good to see you there but that was my like home club oh yeah, it was so comfortable and then that show uh greg proops and laura keitlinger opened the show for me <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Um, it was fun. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, that that is that is an unfortunate loss. It was, in my opinion, the best comedy club in LA. Oh, I um, agree. It was the best shows I, I did anywhere there. And like, I, whenever I've done stuff like the comedy store or the improv, I have not had fun. It's, it's, not, it's not that they're bad clubs. It's just that the a comedy club audience... Like some, when people are going to just the generic concept of a comedy show where they're going out and they want to have drinks or whatever, that's when it's the comedy store or the improv. They don't necessarily mm -hmm. care about the performers as much. That's not to say that yeah. that's always it's the case. It's more like but, work. It's more like work in those instances and it's just like not as fun. But Nerd Melt came in with a, with a built-in audience of dorks that happened to be into comedy. And that's where it was really easy for me to find my my sort of my tribe in fandom when I would perform sure. on those shows because you're like, oh, these people like the same things that I like and they're gonna be really surprised because I look like such a piece of <laughs> But I end up, so it's a surprise. It's it's always been an uphill battle in stand-up comedy when I'm in the nerds, the nerd sectors and that I'm treated like an invader. Yeah. Until yeah. it finally uh you can until use it they, to your advantage though. I yeah, I mean I've had weird. to, yeah. It it's weird when, you know, like who comes out to see you is always strange. Like it's uh yeah. I've had to. the weirdest ones are like when I do hometown shows, 
the people that have been like, I've been dying to see you perform. And it's like somebody that I never talked to in high school that like we, oh, they were like dude. three grades below me or something. And they, and, but they like, we're, we might be Facebook friends and, and they're like, man, I've been waiting for this. It's so good to see you again. And I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> it's almost a surprise to me, like a great surprise and also because like the people that show up are not the always the people that I grew up with that we've always been best friends. Yeah. That's not always who shows up when I do these hometown shows. I always get weird things like I I would, you know, I was looking if I'd, I'd open for bigger acts a lot. And so I don't really, I never really advertise that I do stand up that much. And so like someone I went to high school with would like go to see Bob Saget and then I come out on stage and they're like, what the hell? <laughs> like a really weird or like someone I work with that's happened before too. They're like, you do comedy. And I'm like, yep. That was when people, uh, like some of the nerds that I grew up with when they found out that I worked for sideshow for a while. And then when I left them and they'd be like, Oh, that's such a bummer. I'm like, no, it's, it's actually great because now they're not tethered to me being a risk to their bottom line. Right. And also I'm not, being told what I can say anymore on my podcast. Right. Uh, so it's better for everyone. Like, yeah, but it was pretty cool that you worked for them. I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's better that I'm not working for them. But yeah. it's like, but it was, well, all, it was awesome. Now, you did. We've all moved on. Yeah. I'm like, well, everybody's better off without this situation. But I, I, I definitely like some of the people like, I can't believe it. I had one person be like, man, what's it like to be the most famous person from our high school? <laughs> or, or from our graduating class, I think they said. And I just went, it means that we have a weak graduating class. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, that I can't be it. I can't be the name. The Shepherd Hill class of 1999 has got to do better than this. Cause yeah, at least get an infamous person. Yeah. Get, give, give me a silly serial killer or something. Yeah, totally. I had a, it's funny too, because, um, one of my guests that I had on before, Sean McCune, was one of my students. So we we're from the same hometown, right. uh, but he plays for the Cowboys. So I'm like, well, there's no way I'm ever going to be the most famous person from our high school. That's like not going to happen. Like, it's yeah. just it's just not going to be solved that problem for he you. did. He, he my 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 student ruined my life. He caught a he got a touchdown on Thanksgiving. How am I? Well, and I'm talking about, I'm going to do a commercials podcast next year. You know, lot, it took a lot of pressure off you. It really did, to be honest. But that was very, very much like one of the people, because like oftentimes I would be like quoted in, in like cracked articles or something. And people were like, read about you in cracked again, man. This is wild. And I'm just like, man, I don't think you understand what niche markets are, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always weird. Like I, I also been lucky enough that they've had a number of times have been featured in the globe the boston globe with like a photographer came to my house and stuff um and i remember i said at work one day and i think i'd been in like the sunday globe or something and this woman i never really even talked about work just came over to my desk and like threw the paper down <laughs> and she's like i was reading my paper i was like why is this guy from work in the paper you're like this is nice yeah i was like oh okay <laughs> what what do do you mind if i ask what what is your day job Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I work in, I uh, work in Medicaid compliance I for like 15, so, 16 years. Okay. And what does that mean? 
So Medicaid is like uh, the the health insurance for people low income, yeah. no income. Oh, oh definitely, so, I definitely know what that is. Yeah. So in Massachusetts, like uh, I am like the liaison between the government regulators and the plan, like to make sure that everything's above board and like every you know the contracts are being fulfilled correctly and people are getting the services and oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. It's a good guy job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like you know doctors aren't committing fraud and. You know, people are getting things they need. Yeah, it's that. That's another reason why I like don't don't mind having a day job because ultimately that job at the end of the day, like people are better off <laughs> if I'm like doing it. Yeah, yeah, and plus it's it's one of those things where it seems like a job that you can leave at the office. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, it's and not totally. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I really my life improved significantly when I stopped trying to have a day job that was like creative or I thought would like be any kind of connection to like wanting to do be like a writer or a performer or anything and just like is a vehicle for you know money so i can do stuff i like yeah <laughs> i mean well i got because i gotta be honest like with teaching it was one of those things where summers were great but during the school year you know everyone's like wow it must be nice to be done with work by 2 30 or 3 o'clock i'm done. like i'm like i work until like 6 to 7 p.m every night i'm yeah. up at 6 a.m i'm in school at 7. yeah i've said to people when they say that and i have friends who are teachers i'm like yeah they get the summer off technically but they probably work the same amount of hours in a year that you do <laughs> yeah and we have to get summer jobs because the job doesn't necessarily pay yeah yeah, yeah. as much as that um so uh a couple more. I'm gonna have a couple of questions. We're gonna finish this. We're gonna have a little bonus content for the patrons yeah. afterwards. But um, I wanted to ask you because uh, obviously TV is the thing that you are most known for. So I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions about TV shows. Um, for your opinions on that. And first and foremost, sure. what do you consider to be like? I would say like the top three TV shows you've ever seen. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, there's so many genres. Uh, Fringe is up there. Oh, you like Fringe? Yeah. Fringe is easily in my top three uh that's probably one of the best sci-fi shows of all time uh easily of the 21st century um barney miller is up there really uh, which is one of the best written comedies of all time it's like the perfect uh multi-cam sitcom they did 200 episodes that's just five characters in one room <laughs> and it <laughs> never gets old <laughs> it's like a true like a perfect example of a good show um twilight zone fair like that's just that's a show that made us all better people um to a degree and then didn't uh <laughs> some of us got the lessons <clears throat> yeah and then like the young ones is really important for me um that was like a life changer i know a lot of my like punk rock friends really really gravitate towards that show yeah i mean i literally was five years old and had insomnia and was flipping through the channels one night and MTV used to show it late at night in an hour block with the monkeys. And I saw the damned on the young ones playing a song called Video Nasty. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but there's a vampire singing fast, angry music. And I, this is everything I like in the world now. <laughs> that's that's rad. Uh, now, what, what, what would be shows that um, give me one or two shows that you think most people have never seen? that you would you would really suggest they'd be like oh you, you you've never seen x you have to see it um or like perfect or like underrated perfect. i guess would be a good example of that car 54 where are you um 1963 1964 it's nat heinken who did the phil silver show it is like if you like a show like curb your enthusiasm 
Car 54 or Are You is the sort of uh, template for those kinds of shows and is just perfect. Uh, they're like a puzzle box of, of humor. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I'm trying to think of what I revisit. New Heart's up there. The 80s New Heart show. No, oh, yeah. A lot of them end up being sitcoms because I feel like now especially younger people really write off sitcoms and especially multicam sitcoms because they grew up on them being sort of Disney and Nickelodeon shows, which is not the case. No, no. <laughs> Back in the day, we had three networks. Yeah, and, and a show like Newhart, which is just so funny and weird and, and great, um, is well worth watching. Uh, Kate and Alley's another one that is a pretty timeless show. Solid it's, Jane it's, Curtin vehicle. Yep. Uh, it's just two friends and it's written really well and it's funny and it holds up. Like that's a great show as well. Um, I remember I seeing ads for that. I used to have a Christmas tape from like 1986 or 1987 that had the ALF Christmas special on it. Oh, and during the, dur during the ALF, it's wild. If you've never seen today, by the way, cause, cause I'm releasing this on, uh, I'm going to release this on Christmas, a Saturday, a Tuesday show dropping on a Saturday. If I can, I'm going to do that. Uh, if I'm like, if it's edited in time, if not, sorry, <laughs> I've been lying. Um, definitely watch the Elf Christmas special because it is unhinged. It is the weirdest, wildest Christmas special you'll ever see. Uh, Molly Hagen is a friend of mine and I've had on the show is in that Alf Christmas special. And uh, when I had her on, we talk about it at length. Was uh, she Tiffany? Um, I forget what her character name like is. Like the main guest star? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, she was in yeah. our house, I believe. Was that the show that she was on as well? No, no. Then it's someone else. Right. Um, it's all right. We, in that. Yeah. We, but she was like, at one point she got into a political argument with Paul Fusco, who is Alf. Um, but like he was in character, like in between. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Oh yeah. No, I've heard some pretty nightmarish scenario situations about the, the Alf, uh, puppetry and puppeteer and all that. Um, but I, I remember there, the Kate and Allie commercial that they would play on that and i remember specifically a holding up a her holding up a toilet seat it says only 39.95 and it was like a wreath toilet seat oh yeah yeah, yeah. i'll yeah. always remember that kate and Alley commercial sctv is also really high up on that list for me canadian snl uh that's that's almost a disservice I, that is a disservice to SCTV. but uh, that that might be a disservice to it but when we're talking things in the cultural zeitgeist i have to give a good touchstone for it yeah although if you if it's it's Catherine o'hara and eugene levy john candy john candy yeah and so if you know people from like people feel like Shit's creek or that kind of stuff it's like oh all the all those people it's where they started yeah um so I, I uh, and then um, I was going to ask you, have you watched the new Saved by the Bell? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. You should do that. <laughs> I've heard it's good. And then um, Ahmed Barucha's sister, Maureen Barucha, directed some episodes mm -hmm. of it uh, for the new season, I think. It's uh, it is pound for pound the most joke. It's like 30 Rock in just the amount of jokes that are layered onto each other. It's just a joke factory. It doesn't stop. And it's made for us. Yeah, it's marketed as being like, "Ooh, it's a, for the new generation," but it's not. It's a hundred percent for us about the new generation, and they they nailed it flawlessly. You know what's funny is I just read yesterday that HBO Max canceled the Head of the Class reboot because it didn't do well, and I'm a big fan of the show Head of the Class, and I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. if I didn't know about it, no yeah. wonder it's not doing well. Wasn't the uh. 
the the doofy guy was it dennis that was on that yeah, show was, dennis, wasn't there a problem yeah. with, with him like uh directing nickelodeon shows and people were well, a little he, he basically took over nickelodeon like he yeah. created iCarly and all like all the shows that were huge money makers for nickelodeon and uh yeah there is kind of a creepy yeah there's some weird. shady yeah yeah um, so he stepped down but weirdly the guy who replaced him is brian robbins who also was on his class that whole it was a class of prodigies it's true you know like you know who took over robin givens yeah also on the show um ken i'm gonna uh we're gonna stick around uh, a little bit for the patrons after that but uh for those of you that are listening to free for free first off thank you uh well, we greatly appreciate that um ken what do you got going on what, what do we have to plug uh, like you mentioned before, episode 500 of my show just aired. I, I debuted a new theme song to the show that was written and performed by Josh Cater of the band The Smoking Popes, uh, who are one of my favorite bands, and it's like this awesome theme song. That's, that's incredible. That's good. Um, uh, yeah, we got a bunch of guests coming up. Um, new episodes every week, tvguidancecounselor.com. Uh, just did two episodes with Robin Ince, who's a great UK comic. Um, yeah, a bunch of good stuff coming up. I love that. And um, also definitely make sure you follow Ken Reed on social media. Uh, on Twitter, Ken, we can find you at Kenneth W. Reed, R-E-I-D. Uh, and on Instagram, it's probably the same thing, right? Yep. There it is. Uh, K-E-N-N-E-T-H-W-R-E-I-D. Make sure you follow Ken on social media because he's a delight. Sometimes he gets into fights with Ann Coulter that go um, that is true. That go crazy yeah. viral. Did you get yeah. threatened for that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got death threats all the time um, during the Trump administration. That's so fun. Uh, having a tweet go viral is the worst, by the way. I hate it. I mean, I, you know why I hate it? Because it's never what I want to go viral. I had one, I made some offhanded joke, like a dumb joke about stupid anti-vaxxers. This was like eight months ago. And at least once a month, it'll get, it'll come back and get shared. And it'll be by people who think I'm serious and are like agreeing. <laughs> and then people who are like, you know, just posting it. And it's been shared like millions of times. And it's just like a dumb, like it's, it's no different than any yeah. one of like 10 dumb things I tweet every day. I had a friend of mine go viral because like a, a, a dude producer like did like a creepy photo of her even though she sent a headshot to use for for a flyer for a show and i had posted a comment be like oh no now what's he gonna do with uh only 39 other comics on the show making fun of the fact that he's a terrible producer in many ways because we had had a dm conversation about this sure as like somebody's a lot of people were like oh what so you're coming after her in the comments i'm like do you not understand how this world works and i got people ripping me apart for me having a conversation with my friend of course and i'm yeah. like no you f idiot i don't need to have this fight anymore yeah well tone is very difficult yeah. to convey on things so it's yeah i did my my what was the tweet the yoda tweet where uh, regular old yoda make me sick to my stomach now when when they revealed baby yoda or whatever yeah and that went so wild oh yeah that went like a hundred and fifty thousand likes or something like that and i was like this tweet sucks it's insane it, and it's yeah it's it you never get anything good out of it <laughs> yeah you'll get a, you'll get 200 followers and then that whittles down to 18 yeah and they want to yeah. talk to you about crypto um <laughs> So guys, def definitely follow Ken on social media and check out uh, TV Guidance Counselor. Uh, you've got a small backlog to catch up on. 
And then uh, you can check uh, you can check out my episode uh, coming out the first quarter of 2022. Yeah, probably probably mid February. Sure, sounds great. Yeah sounds fantastic um yeah also you can check out uh if you're not a patron and uh, not a patron and you want to head to patreon.com slash jeff may where you get this show and you also get other shows such as Ugh fine the monthly show that i keep with kim crawl uh as well as uh hopefully soon if i could uh get this thing organized and all the all the things put thing uh advertising the uh a sociological anthropological study of 90s advertising that's um, not historical in any way no I don't care if it happened in the past. Time's a flat circle. So it's not historical. Um, of course, you can follow me at Hey There Jeffro on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, don't bother finding me on Facebook. It's not worth it. I don't do anything anymore. I just plug this show. Uh, thank you all very much. Happy holidays if you are listening to this uh, during the holidays. I appreciate each and every one of you. Be safe, be kind. Uh, don't buy from Amazon. You know the whole drill. Uh, and then find me and review this show on on. Review it. R give me a good review. Don't be an asshole. Love you. Bye. Artwork is created by Justin T. Brown, who can be found at Artness by Justin Brown on Instagram, as well as artnessbyjustinbrown.com. That dope music you heard is by Troy Nababon, available at Troy Nababon on Instagram, as well as at troynababon.com. Nababon is spelled N-A-B-A-B-A-N, and boy, does that shred. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next time.